find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Everybody, howdy, buzzards. This is Macy. This is Nicole, and you're listening to Buzzkillers. Yay! We're back. A proud podcast of the Podmoth Network. Yes, you keep remembering. <laughs> I'm so proud. I'm the one that's forgetting. Oops, I didn't hit start. My B. Listen, we're back, guys. After a long two-week hiatus. I hope you all enjoyed your holidays. Yes. And I hope you're all happy and healthy. Yes, yes. Stay safe out there, friends. (sighs) Stuff is getting worse again. Yes. But. Makes me want to bang my head into a wall. Yeah. But here I am. But here we are. Recording (laughs) the podcast together. Anyway. um, We don't have much business because we've been away. You guys didn't see we hit 10,000 downloads. Yes, we hit 10,000 downloads, which is amazing. We're so excited. Thank you guys for all of your support. Yes. And for getting us this far. Because we're having a blast. And I know we did a Patreon mini. Mm -hmm. And we said hello to our newest Patreon members on there. But I want to say hi to Victoria and Amy. Yay! Um, thank you guys for subscribing to us. I know, um, Victoria has sent us some so super nice messages and it's just so sweet. Yes. And we've been on vacation and on break. So we, I apologize as we have not gotten back to you yet, but we I will. promise we have seen your messages and we very much cried over them because I they like were literally cried. So nice. Literally. <laughs> cried. You can ask my husband. He will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> They're so nice. And uh, thank you so much for your support. Yeah. It means the world. It's, it's just <laughs> incredible. We're, we're just so lucky. Yes. Oh, that this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. um, So, uh, Nicole, <laughs> what is this very interesting wine we're drinking? I want to tell you what it is first, and then I'm going to read the thing. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So, guys, we are drinking a red wine. It is a Zinfandel. <laughs> or what Macy <laughs> thought was a Binfandel. <laughs> Listen, the bottle's in like super fancy cursive and it really does look like it says Binfandel. <laughs> I swear. I was like, that's not a Z. <laughs> but then when I look it up on Google, the first thing that comes up is poison Zinfandel. I was like, okay, all right. So. Oh, Prove yes. me wrong. But it is called poison. P-O-I-Z-I-N as in Zin. Oh my God. Duh. <laughs> Listen, I popped in my head. I said it out loud and went, that was the key. That right there was the key. (laughs) The knowledge is unlocked. (laughs) The way they spelled poison. You have leveled up. But this wine it is fruit-driven with fresh plums, Bing cherry, spicy peppercorn, Ooh. and zinberry. The mouthfeel <laughs> is soft with a hint of milk chocolate, sweet oak, and a long vanilla finish. Interesting, interesting. I'm a little scared. 
But we like Zinfandels normally. So. We normally do. We're normally pretty good. But I'm going to read you the back of the bottle has this like paragraph on it, which I forgive me now. I tried to read this out loud to Macy and I almost died. <laughs> um, it is like on the side of the curved bottle. So you have to like rotate the bottle as you read it. And it is not the easiest thing to read because it's also <laughs> in fancy cursive. <laughs> but it's got this like paragraph that's really interesting. All right. All ready. Right. I'm ready. And scene. No, I'm an actress. Wait, that's what they say at the end of the scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the end. Listen. And scene. I have stage fright. You don't ever want to see that shit. Uh, <laughs> all right. As she stands in the clearing, the cold wind dances through the trees, swirling her golden mane over her diaphanous silken black gown. The full moon melts into the paleness of her skin. As she stirs the cauldron of Zinfandel, she, ta- she chants an otherworldly incantation. From vials as old as the echoes of time, she adds minute pinches of her ancestry. Her slender fingers rub together as she, uh, sorry, as the grains fall, releasing their magic as they, excuse me, as they touch the fermenting must. On her face is the look of both good and evil, of love and hate of life and sex and all that stirs you. What is this unearthly potion? It is poison, the wine to die for. And guys, it says like poison in like this really like weird drippy font and has like it's got like, like a, a skeleton with like crossbones on it. We're keeping this bottle. We're so excited. Oh, this is like our aesthetic in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Like, thanks, Mama <laughs> V. This was my Christmas present. Yes. Oh, that's right. Thank you, Mama V. Thank you, Mama <laughs> V. For the Binfantel. It is. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually drinking Poibin. Poibin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So, are you ready to give it a try? Let's give it a try. I like it. Ooh, that's good. Oh, I like that. Hmm. Oh, wait, I gotta try now. I gotta have another sip. I really like that. It's really good. That's like, I didn't. I thought I, it was gonna be much, um. Oakier. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be a lot, a lot more dry. I was gonna. I I tend to get when it hit. It's like that flavoring that hits the back of your tongue. It normally gets me with the red wines, but this doesn't really do that. It's very um, acidic. Yeah, but it's it's like very like the front of your tongue taste buds. Like tip I taste a lot of it when I first tongue, take the, the sip, but as I swallow, it's kind of like a soothing, like mm-hmm. almost yes. like a relaxed taste. Yeah, these are like not words to use to describe wine, and there's so many people cringing in the world right now, going, "This is not how you talk about wine." Oh my god, you freaking uneducated, you uncultured swine! Uh, you, um, <laughs> you, I went for ninny muggin, and you said uncultured swine. <laughs> I think, I think uncultured swine is better. <laughs> we are. But um, this is this is actually really good. This is really good. I really like this wine. Wow. I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I agree. It's one of my f- more, one of the reds I've liked better. Me too. And I and, think the last you know one us. that I really liked was, <laughs> it was like a, one of the 19 crimes or something. It's probably over there. <laughs> In our corner of all of our wine bottles that we're going to put up say, I think one of the ones that we ended up really liking was that Sixth Sense. The one that we like thought we were going to hate because I think it's a Syrah. 
and we ended up loving it. Did we like it? it? Or was it, there was is another that the red that we liked too. Is that the one that's right there? Or? Uh, there was one where we liked the bottle and we wanted to keep the bottle, but we, th- we were like, eh, about the wine. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I was going to say, I thought we liked Sixth Sense and then there was one that we tried around the same time that we liked it and even drink because it was just like we couldn't do it. I know there were two reds that we tried from there. So probably it's over there somewhere. (laughs) There's a lot of them. There's like a good (laughs) seven, eight bottles over there that Tyler has offered to build us a shelf. We just haven't done it yet. (laughs) I'm lazy. Life is busy. Life. Life. Anyway. But guys, welcome to the month of January. We are going to be discussing shapes. (laughs) Circles. Squares. Hexagons. Oh my god. Sorry. Triangles. I like went to say triangles and I was like, no, I must say shapes. (laughs) My mom um, was uh, in a marching band in high school and but they don't have oboes in marching bands and and she played the oboe but she still wanted to be in the marching band so she learned how to play the triangle oh my god (laughs) right mama v listen my entire brain when you started talking was like how does this relate to triangles because she played a triangle (laughs) that's amazing that was always like my intention this whole month to whenever someone says triangle go ding (laughs) <laughs> guys that's your drinking game this month every How time many times can macy go ding? every time you say the word triangle you have to take a drink oh my god you'd be wasted uh, have fun triangle 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 <laughs> that's just one big sip <laughs> one one big gulp yes we are talking about triangles this month this is nicole's birthday month oh that's right and she chose this topic i did and I'm very glad she did because I really like mine. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm really excited to hear about this. You told me a lot about like, well, not a lot, but like you've told me things here and there. And I'm like, what? This place is weird. It's like, I like, I'm so scared to go this place. I would really love to go. You know how much I want to go. Yeah, I know. Um, Guys, we're talking about the Alaska Triangle, which. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I promise I won't do that the whole time. Um, but there is like the Bermuda Triangle, a triangle in Alaska that they call the Alaska Triangle. Um, it encompasses a wilderness that is like the size of Texas. Like, because Alaska has that much fucking wilderness. Yeah, they kind of do. Um. The triangle uh, goes through four different state regions. Jeez. Um, and it connects the borders of Anchorage, which is kind of like in the cent- like center-ish of the state. Um, Juneau and the, the Yaku. I'm, guys, I'm so sorry. There's a lot of Native American names in this. And I'm sorry if I stumble. I really am. <laughs> um, there's Juneau and Yakutat, which is in the southeast. That was kind of over by the Yukon Territory, like more towards Canada. Okay. And then north is Barrow. Um, That's like the northern part of the triangle. And I'm going to post a picture of what this looks like mm-hmm. um, on our social media because it's kind of hard to envision. Like, I don't really know Alaska that I well like that. I don't know Alaska at but all. But basically, so like, it kind of looks like, like there's that like big 
kind of looks like a giant forehead here and then like a chin or something and it kind of comes over here so it's like top is barrow and then a it's not center but it's like southwest this way a little bit more towards the center is anchorage and all the way down here towards canada is juno okay so like juno's in the tail of it Okay, this is really great because you're facing me and the way you're describing it, it's like I'm on the other side of the map. You were like, Canada. Oh. I'm like in my mind trying to pick. I'm, <laughs> I'm like sorry. picturing a map. And you, and I'm, so I'm picturing Canada over to the right. And you're like, Canada. And you point left. And I was like, wait. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> She's doing it this way. <laughs> She's facing the wrong way. <laughs> um, so this entire area encompasses um, the southeastern wilderness, the interior tundra. And the northern Arctic mountain ranges mm -hmm. of Alaska. Like, all of that is in this, this little triangle here. It's not little, it's big. I was going to say, are there any parts of Canada that are not in the triangle? <laughs> um, very few. Oh, this place is scary. Um, and there, this whole place is very strange. Um, since 1988... More than 16,000 people have disappeared in this region. That's two to three times the amount of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, 500 to 2,000 people go missing every year. In 2007, 3,000 people were reported missing and 250 rescue missions went out that same year. Separate ones. Not like... Like, 250 separate rescue missions. Like, for separate people. Um, That's horrifying. P the missing persons rate in Alaska is twice the national average. Holy crap. Um, so there are outlier. <laughs> yeah. And, like, airplane passengers have gone missing. Hikers, locals, tourists. Four in every 1,000 people go missing in Alaska every year. That's terrifying. And do you know how much Alaska is populated? Not a lot. Not a lot. So let's, why is it like this? Um, so the native Alaska, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Tlingit, it's T-L-I-N-G-I-T. I'll accept it. The Tlingit who, um, were, who were, based kind of towards Juno, so southern in the state, um, even integrated, like, the mysteries of the triangle into their culture. Mm -hmm. um, they have an evil spirit who I'm going to talk about. This is going to be a two-parter, uh, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, we're going to talk more in depth about the spirit. But they have an evil spirit named Kushtaka, who is a cross between a man and an otter. Yeah. That's um, horrifying. It mimics the screams of women to trick l people who are traveling or, you know, people in the woods to come near it and help it. And then it captures these people and takes them um, to its realm. The otter person has a realm? Yep. Apparently. Ooh. <laughs> More next time. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> um, but I also saw another article where... Um, like the spirit can make the people that it's taken into other kushtakas. So 
we'll find I haven't done much research on this. This is like just a little bit that I did for this episode to just show you how weird it fucking is. Seriously, though, An, a spirit that is a mix of a man and an otter. Those are two very specific things. Those are two very specific things. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> so not only is there this weird evil spirit supposedly in native cultures living on this land, but there have also been reported alien abductions, paranormal activity, strange beasts, things just vanishing Love that. into thin air. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's scary there fucking scary there sounds like it um more than that's kind of crazy like more than one of the first things i'm going to talk about because i have four topics kind of for this episode that i want to just touch on that are things that have happened in the alaska triangle Mm -hmm. um is like a plane a plane accident uh and more than two thousand planes have crashed or vanished in the last 20 years in the Alaska Triangle. 2,020 years? Yep. And a lot of this information, guys, I got from um, a show on Discovery Plus called The Alaska Triangle. It is a two-season show. There are 10 episodes per season. um, And I have watched a good number of them. So if you're interested in this topic, there's more. There's more than probably I will even cover in two parts. So if you're interested. But can we just talk about, first of all, I don't want to have to mention that I had to use a calculator to do this math, but (laughs) 2,000 planes disappearing over 20 years. That's 100 planes a year. Almost 200 planes crash every year in Alaska. 52 weeks in the year. That means every week. Two planes. Approximately. This is going to be two weeks. But approximately two planes every week. Crash or vanish. Yep. It's a weird place. That's so fucked. Um, So this whole area, as we've talked about, is covered with dense forests, mountains, glaciers, hidden caves crevices like you could literally like walk out into the snow and just like fall oh oh fun um wild animals some of the most unforgiving weather in like the world um avalanches winters that literally like if you got lost out there and it snowed there'd be no trace of you yeah because the snow would cover your footprint probably how a lot of people go missing (laughs) (laughs) falling ice all sorts of fucking weird shit like dangerous shit goes on in this triangle like it's not for the faint of heart and this makes up most of the state so that's fun i don't ever want to go there alone (laughs) i told nicole the other day i was like if i ever go to alaska and i go missing just know that i went missing doing what i loved (laughs) looking for a bigfoot or something (laughs) spooky shit spooky shit um more than half of the designated federal federal wilderness is within this area. And there's thousands of miles of unexplored wilderness. Unexplored? Yeah. Um, God, it's as bad as the bottom of the ocean. The, Christ. The coast <laughs> is 33,000 miles of water. 
all around the state. That's horrifying. Uh, and there are three million lakes. And I, yes, I am serious when I say three million. I looked up this statistic a hundred times to make sure it was right. There are three million lakes and three thousand rivers in the Alaska Triangle. That's a lot of lakes and a lot of rivers. Most of which are unexplored. That's fucking terrifying. I don't know how many times in this episode I said terrifying or horrifying, but it's going to keep happening. <laughs> and we're not even partway through. <laughs> um, and electronic readings of the area have found large concentrations of magnetic energy, um, which have caused compasses to be off as much as 30 degrees or more. Oh, that is a life killer right there. Uh, rescue crews have often reported um, experiencing auditory hallucinations, disorientation, lightheadedness, and mood swings, and even sickness. Oh, my God. So, like, this area is pretty fucking weird. No joke. No joke here. So, the first thing that we're going to talk about, the area kind of became really, uh, like, well-known. I don't really know how well-known it was. I don't know. I didn't know anything about it until reading about this. I didn't know it was a thing until you told me. <laughs> um, And the only reason I knew is because, like, my mom told me. Thanks, Mama V. Um, she's getting a lot of praise this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I saw that um, show. But the reason why it got kind of famous was because a, uh, in, like, the, I think it's, like, the 80s. And I'm going to talk about this in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um like a house of representatives member went missing his plane went missing in the alaska triangle um Um, and that's how this area kind of became known and people started like investigating it like more than before but not much. that's fucking nuts but i'm gonna talk about that more in the next part um the first one the first thing i'm gonna talk about from the alaska triangle is the disappearing the disappearance of the Douglas C-54 in 1950. Um, On January 26th of 1950, Mm -hmm. 44 people boarded the Douglas C-54, a military transport plane. Uh, There were 36 passengers, uh, 34 U.S. servicemen, and two civilians, um, uh, Mrs. Joyce Espy and her infant son, Victor. Um. There were eight crew members, um, a pilot, a co-pilot, an instructor pilot, a navigator, a radio operator, and three flight engineers on board this flight. Um, the plane had attempted to take off that morning of January 26th, um, but the engine um, had some problems and it was forced to stay grounded at Elmendorf that's the word <laughs> military base sounds like something out of the hobbit yeah elmendorf <laughs> um and so they re- until they um re- they did repairs on it so they departed the elmendorf air base around 1 p.m and this air base is like smack in the middle of the triangle mm-hmm. it's like kind of near anchorage um oh look at that see built in anchorage <laughs> see me see you do do your research <laughs> Built in Anchorage <laughs> to protect the U.S. from the Soviet Union. Because that's the closest point in the U.S. to the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, the flight was estimated to take eight hours and would cross very rugged and desolate terrain. 
Um, the weather was clear that day, but it was cold and temperatures reached about negative degree, negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit Ooh, at ground level. It's fucking cold. So that's not even counting up Wi- up there in the thin air with wind yeah, chill. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. So the C-54 followed the Airway Amber 2, which was an air route established during World War II um, that follows the Alaska Highway. Um, in 1950, this route had a radio station in an emergency strip, an emergency strip, sorry, approximately every 100 miles. So oh. they would have to check it. Yeah. Or land if there was an emergency or whatever. Oops, sorry. Um, it headed east 240 miles to its first reporting point, which was the town of Snag, which is in the Yukon territories. Okay. Um, it's like. Canada, Yukon Territories, Alaska. Like, okay. on a map. That's how it is. Um, they made their call, their first call to the station on time at 3.09 p.m. Okay. And then had no further contra- contact and vanished without a trace. Uh, Holy shit. During this call... The crew stated that they were flying at 10,000 feet over Snag in the Yukon Territory and expected to reach the next radio station in, oh man. I believe in you. Aishahik. It's A-I-S-H-I-H-I-K. I accept your answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, which is in the Yukon Territories. And they expected to reach that next radio station in 30 minutes. So. 30 minutes they vanished. In 30 minutes they vanished. Two hours into their flight. Their eight hour flight. Oh my God. Um, And this is a mystery to this day. They've never found a single trace of this plane anywhere? No. I'm not kidding. Um, so this was at the beginning of the Cold War, and Alaska is only 56 miles from Russia, which was the Soviet Union at the time. Is that really the distance? I did not know that it was that close. I mean, I knew it was close, but I didn't know it was that close. That's close. Shit. Um, and the, the plane was headed away from the Soviet Union, um, and it was nearly impossible for the Soviet military to get that far east without being spotted by the U.S. military. Yeah. So um, that theory was pretty quickly ruled out that it could have been a Soviet pl- like plane that bombed them or like brought them down. Yeah. Um, and at this time, Alaskan airspace was very closely monitored, like monitored all the time. I'd believe it if you're in the middle of the Cold War with a country yeah. that's only 56 miles away. And this happened. <laughs> this happened the same year that the U.S. developed the first operational hydrogen bomb. Fun. So they were like worried. They're like, "Shit, why are our planes going down?" Oh my um, god. So one hour after it was supposed to land in Great Falls, Montana, which was where it was headed. Uh huh. So it got to be the time that they were supposed to land in Montana. An hour goes by. They're still not there. It's declared missing. This plane. Oh, God. Um, and an enormous search effort 
goes out to look for this plane. Um, and it's called Operation Mike. Um, and that was the pilot of the missing plane. And he was uh, First Lieutenant Mike Tissick. Okay. What? I was about to just be an ass and be like, what the fuck is that name? <laughs> it's actually a very nice name. It's uh, honoring them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so the um, military in Alaska were actually experts at search and rescue. Um, and so they were very confident at first that they would find the wreckage, that they would find these people and everything was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sent out 7,000 ground troops and 85 aircraft to help in the search for this plane. And they searched about 300,000 square miles. Holy fuck. Um, in 1950, there was no radar coverage of this area. So they like couldn't even find like them through radar or anything. Yeah. So a lot of experts were like, well, why was this so important to find? Like, why was this plane so important to find? Who was on it? Were they carrying military secrets? What's going on? Because they sent out a ton of fucking people to look for this plane. Um, no passengers on the list were out of the ordinary. So a lot of people were like, well, maybe there was secret tech on board or like, this is just theories. Yeah. They don't really know. But I thought it was kind of interesting. I was like, yeah, why? Why were they so going? I, about yeah. I say, why plane? is it this one flight so much more important than the other fucking eight million that crash every five right, seconds? Right, right, right. Um, they made no further distress calls and they knew that weather was not a factor because it was a nice day. It was cold, but it was a it generally was clear, but it was a generally clear and nice day. Um, on February 2nd, uh, some military personnel caught faint radio signals that were heard on a distress band um, and they continued for days. Um, and so they were holding out hope that the plane would be found. Oh, my God. They could hear chatter, but they couldn't figure out what was being s- said. And it was scattered all around the area. They couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from. Um, and the, the again, these reports of garbled radio messages mm-hmm. are unconfirmed. But there were also sightings of smoke and people who might have been survivors um, and this was actually found to originate from troops from another exercise. Oh, wow. Um, that and were never attributed to the C-54. Bom- but it, or bombing, what am I talking about? Disappearance, Ooh. vanishing. But it is weird that they like, why wouldn't they get like a clear message from these people who are s- supposedly doing an exercise? Why can't they pinpoint them? yeah it seems like if they knew there was an exercise going on they'd be able to determine oh that's from this that and they wouldn't follow it in circles yeah so not only that but other strange things started to happen during the search effort oh no um an airplane involved in the search effort crashed near the southern edge of the triangle jesus Um, it stalled crashed nobody died oh um and the pilot ended up walking 13 miles to the highway, and they all were rescued. Wow. On February 7th, a C-47 went down in the southern part of the search grid. No fatalities. Why are all these planes going down? How are people surviving every time? <coughs> Excuse me. 
the military always conducts investigation when aircraft uh, aircraft crash. Uh huh. Um, and they have not disclosed the reasons for either crash, which is hella sauce. <laughs> Excuse me. A sauce. Um, on February 10th of 1950, a top secret or, or it's a top secret intelligence report dated February 10th of 1950 mm-hmm. revealed that UFOs had been seen stalking U.S. naval planes just four days before the Douglas disappeared. What? The first sighting was at the air station of Kodiak. And a naval, uh, yeah, naval, naval pilot <laughs> witnessed a um, a UFO following him that he clocked going 1,800 miles an hour on his radar. Holy um, crap. He reported very strange interference with his navigational equipment. And then the UFO vanished and reappeared two hours later following the same plane and then vanished again. This document remained classified until 1970s when like a Freedom of Information Act required them to disclose it. And even now it's like redacted to shit. I don't, I don't understand how we have a Freedom of Information Act, but you can, you can be like, Here's this here fine here's this document but everything on it's redacted. It's like how is that free of free information? Like you've redacted the entire document. Yeah. It's crazy. That's so weird. There was also another reported sighting over the Elmendorf Air Base, which is where the plane took off from. Ah! A commander spotted three orange objects flying around the on the, around the base, they hovered around 20,000 feet and then vanished. A week later, a third plane went down near the last recorded location of the Douglas. Uh, what? And then a fourth plane crashes. On February 13th of 1950, this was a Convair B-36 nuclear bomber that was not a part of the search. Um, oh, my God. It took off from Ilison Air, Air Force Base heading to Fort Worth, Texas, nonstop. And it was carrying a Mark IV Fat Man nuclear weapon. It was on exercise, simulating a strike against the Soviet Union, um, and it suffered fires in three of its engines while en route and lost all power. Um, the Mark IV atomic bond bomb was jettisoned into the ocean off of British Columbia, um, and jettisoned means to throw or drop something from an aircraft or ship, because mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, and then the plane crashed into Mount Collegiate. It's K-O-L-O-G-E-T. In British Columbia. Um, 17 crew members were aboard and bailed out over Canada. Um, The USAF launched a search for the missing men and the nuclear weapon. 12 of the crew members were rescued. 
but the crash site wasn't found until three years later during a search for missing for a missing um, aircraft um, owned by Ellis Hall, who was a Texas millionaire in the oil business. I, I feel like that's just like what happens. You go looking for one and you find eight other ones. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> um, the body of one crew member when they found the crash site was found at that time. But oh. the remaining four crew members were never found. Jeez. Um, and the bomb was never found. It was not live. It was a training weapon containing a core of lead rather than a radioactive material. Um, but it was still a highly secretive device that they did not want in the wrong hands. And it's just like at the bottom of the ocean somewhere? Yeah. And they don't know where. Oh, that's good. So four planes <laughs> went down after the Douglas vanished over a period of 30 days. What the hell? Um, like I said, the hostile Soviet activity was very quickly ruled out. How could they have gotten so far east without us seeing them? That's almost impossible. Yeah. One of the theories is that um, there was electric, electromagnetic interference with the magnetic instruments on board. Um, there, uh, this has, um, there are strange magnetic forces in this triangle that you don't see a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. They get really high readings of electromagnetic stuff. I mean, I don't even get stuff. Um, so basically this electromagnetic activity could have put them off course mm -hmm. by fucking with their navigational system. Yeah. Um, and they could have gotten lost, ran out of fuel and crashed basically like being like, where the fuck are we? Yeah. Um, a, another theory, um, is that there was some sort of UFO experience that they were overpowered by more advanced technology. And it was like an, an alien abducted the plane. Yeah. Third theory. Did it fly into a vortex? created by the triangle um possible this has to do a lot with electromagnetism mm -hmm. um a man in florida has actually claimed to have gone through a vortex while in the bermuda triangle so um what? so maybe that interference they were hearing was like sounds coming back to them from another dimension oh that would be freaky shit um, but on February 20th of 1950, the search was officially ended and the next of kin uh, were notified that all of the crew and passengers were presumed dead. And to this day, they do not know what happened to the Douglas. It remains a mystery to this day. That, I don't like it. <laughs> and that's just... One of the four things we're going to talk about today. Oh, my God. Number two, the hairy man of Port Chatham. Guys, there are several instances of Bigfoot in this area, but this is one of the most notable. So I'm going to bring it up. Um, I watched an episode of uh, the Alaskan Triangle on Discovery Plus about this, but there's also a TV show that my lovely Mama V recommended called... Um, the Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. It's also about the same story. Okay. So here we go. Um, so 
off of the port of Homer in the Kenai Peninsula mm-hmm. of Alaska, which is 200 miles southwest of Anchorage, is what they call okay. the end of the road. No, that's a good name. There are no more roads. You literally at that point have to take a boat to get anywhere. Oh. Um, and you can only travel by boat from here to the tip of the Kenai Peninsula. The tip of Kenai Peninsula has Port Chatham, which is apparently where this large ape-like creature likes to stalk the woods. Um, Fun. He's a large biped covered in hair, very similar to the Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. He's eight to nine feet tall, um, fast territorial and aggressive if provoked Ugh. um elders who used to live in it's called port lock like so it's like the port of chatham but then there was like a tiny town there called port lock okay. um elders that used to live in port lock um said that you could tell that the beast was nearby because it was smelly like Ew. you could smell it before you saw it that's gross or like, and so like you can like tell when it's been around or if it's near um, and it can appear and disappear at will. It's very likely that there are more than one of these things. Oh, hun. Um, and it has webbed feet and hands and is believed to have adapted to like the area. It's terrifying. They communicate by whistling, grunting and whooping like whoop. Over long distances. Um, this is very similar to pe- what people say, like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch do. Um, and like I said, they he this thing lives in Port Chatham, which is an abandoned settlement at the tip of the Kenai Peninsula, which you can only reach by boat. Um, of course, and this is a very very remote part of Alaska. It was first settled in 1786 or 7, that kind of varied, uh-huh. but around that time, by Nath- um, Nathaniel Portlock of the British Royal Navy, hence why the town is, was called Portlock. Um, in the early 1900s, Alaska was still a very wild frontier kind of a place, yeah. um, but the salmon was like very rich in the Port Chatham area, and it was very strange... <laughs> oh, seven. Seven. And it was very strange because no indigenous people actually lived in this area. Really? It was kind of weird. Um, so settlers set up base. They opened a cannery in this township. It became a thriving commercial area, even though it was remote. It was like quaint and like sweet. There are all these mountains. Like literally, if you watch Killer Bigfoot, they like pull into this place and like you look across the lake and or look the ocean basically. Yeah. And it's just mountains. That's beautiful. But it's like scary because there's just like wilderness just like everywhere. You're surrounded by nothingness. Oh my god, it's so scary. Um. So there, are, like I said, it's like the sea and the mountains. Okay. Um. So, in 1905, the first recorded, excuse me, um, incident mm-hmm. with the hairy man is in 1905 in a log book um, from the cannery. Mm-hmm. 
a cannery supervisor noted in the book um, that all of the uh, workers had evacuated the area because of something in the forest. Um, and it also stated that the cannery was shut down and they didn't ref- to return until the following season. What? <laughs> but other than that, this town is pretty much still flourishing. And they established a post office by 1921. Wow. Um, but in 1930, in the 1930s, mm-hmm. rumors began of people going into the woods and never coming back. Or hikers or hunters would find dismembered bodies that were floating in the lagoon. Oh, no. Or sightings of a very hairy man-like beast. Nope. Um, the bodies that floated into the lagoon had their arms and legs ripped off Ugh. and tossed into the river. There were no claw or fang marks, and they were all determined to not be bear attacks. Yeah, I don't think a bear has thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> in 1931, a man named Andrew Kamluck went out logging. He was found in the woods dead from blunt force trauma to the head. And they believed that a piece of log moving equipment was the murder weapon. Do you know how heavy log moving equipment is? Probably very fucking heavy. Yeah. And he was hit on the head with it. That's 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 scary. Hey, Twisted Listeners, I'm Cindy. And I'm Diva, and we are the Twisted Listeners, a weekly podcast about murder and lists. Each week, we cover 10 cases that all fall under a specific topic, which we also choose weekly. Past topics have included family annihilators, murderous moms, mysterious and spooky deaths, online predators, and other truly twisted topics. We cover many well-known cases, but we also love to sprinkle in some lesser-known murders, so there's always something new and surprising in every episode. So, if you love lists and true crime as much as we do, then we're the podcast for you. Join us for some twisted tales and interesting topics every week. And remember, stay off our lists. Around this same time, a local, a local, (laughs) a local elder, which is what I was trying to say. Named Simeon Kav- oh. Kavasnikov. Yes. Kavasnikov. There's a ladybug. Where? It's the furthest knife. It's on the Oh, street. I see it. It just went flying over your head and I was like, what is that? I had one on him land in my hair the other day and it freaked me out. Where? It's like the middle of freaking winter up here. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I just um, was like, um, bug. <laughs> So Simeon Kavisnikov from Port Graham, mm-hmm. which was very close to Port Chatham, said that a gold miner had just di- had just disappeared. He had gone up into the woods and disappeared. And there was no sign of him. Um, there was also a gentleman from that same area named Tom Larson who went um, to chop wood to make fish traps. Um, and he uh, came upon a very large, hairy thing on the beach. And he ran back home to get his rifle. And when he returned to the beach, 
he and the thing just stared at each other and he never shot at it. Uh, like, why? Why? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, it never explained why he didn't fire. That's so um, weird. Trees throughout the area were found completely ripped out of the ground and turned upside down with the roots facing up. Um, and so this the, the, the locals believed that this was proof that whatever this thing was was very strong and mm-hmm. powerful. Um, and so workers began to refuse to work and went on strike unless there were guards around posted at all times to protect them. And by 1949, the town was completely deserted and has been abandoned ever since. Like, you can still go there and see pieces of old machinery from this town. What? Yeah. In 1968, a goat hunter claimed to have been chased by a creature while he was hunting in the area. In 1973, an Anchorage newspaper ran a piece where they interviewed a retired school teacher who had taught in Port Chatham during mm-hmm. World War II. And she claimed that the cannery workers would go into the mountains to hunt sheep and bears and would never return. They sent search parties to look for them and found no traces. Holy shit. And she also told them about rumors about mutilated bodies that were torn and dismembered that had been swept by rains down to the down the mountain to the lagoon. Ah. Um, also in 1973, sorry, um, three hunters were stuck in the area during while they were like hunting and but there's like a three day terrible storm mm-hmm. and they claimed that every night something walked around their tent and it sounded like it was on two feet. Uh, um, so basically the theories about this is that this is some sort of spiritual being because apparently it can like disappear and appear at will or whatever. That's um, so weird. But there are also theories that this is some large bipedal undiscovered ape. Kind of like a Bigfoot. Yeah. So what do what you will with that. Um, but seriously, guys, watch. Um, if you want to like see some cool evidence of this maybe being like really seriously possible. Yeah. There are, pe- there are elders from the town who are seriously like, don't go there. Are you serious? Like, don't go there. There is like they call it. Um, I didn't write down the name. Oh, I did write down the, down the name. Um, Nantinak. That's what they call. It means Bigfoot in their oh, lang- okay. in their language. Um, but they call him the Nantinak, and they say like, "Don't go there. He's there." They like believe it. And these are like people that were like born around the time that, like, this town was still, yeah, at its peak. At its peak. Jeez. And they're like, "Yeah, no, no, no." Don't go there. <laughs> don't, don't so basically it. what this this Alaskan killer Bigfoot show is, is like these three guy, three or four guys who are like descendants of people who used to live in Portlock. Yeah. Go to the Port Chatham, the old township, for 40 days. Yeah. To try and like figure out where everything was because the communities around are getting like too... Um, like there's not enough opportunity. There's like they're growing too quickly. So oh, they're okay. like, well, maybe we could move back in here and like see. But like literally the first episode, they find tracks of this thing. And it's literally like these four guys in a camera crew. So it's and like, like they're bushwhacking. Yeah. They're not like. I it's don't not know. Like they're out there in like RVs and stuff. They're no, yeah. Like they literally, literally got there by boat on foot hiking with backpacks like. Yeah. So I don't know how much of it would be staged at all. But it's like one of them goes into like this old abandoned barn and it just smells 
horrible. He's like, something sm- just smells in here. Uh. Smells so bad. And it's like it had been in there before he was in there. Oh, gross. He finds like a dead otter that like, like he was like, if this was a bear, the bear would have eaten the whole thing. Like, yeah, like that they it wouldn't have been dragged up here and left. Yeah, it's weird. Ugh. So if you want to like see more evidence of this, go. I highly recommend the show. Yeah, it's on uh, Discovery Plus. Go watch it. Um, next thing we're gonna talk about, bring it on, is the Alaskan Loch Ness. Her name is Illy to the locals. There's like everything this place. I'm not even kidding you. Is there an Alaskan bullworm? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I haven't gotten that far. That's literally what I thought you were about to say. You, you were like, Alaskan. And I was like, if she says bullworm right now, I'm going to lose my shit. No. <laughs> uh, this it's is... just in SpongeBob. <laughs> I know what it's from. <laughs> um, hang on. I got to text this bitch. Who's texting me? Oh, oh it's probably my mother oh <laughs> i was gonna say ryan sent me an adorable picture of lane oh <laughs> she like got in his she looks precious <laughs> she's the best you guys <laughs> anyway illy the uh lake monster in alaska is rumored to be swimming in lake iliamna which is 77 miles long and 25 miles wide. That's big. Uh, Iliamna Lake is restricted almost exclusively to airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, it currently has very few roads. And it's hundreds of miles from the nearest main road. Oh, gross. Um, it's very hard to reach without a plane. Um, but it's only a few hundred miles from Anchorage, which is a pretty big city. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of weird. It's not that far. But you have to get there by a plane. Um, That's so bizarre. It's one of the hardest places to reach in the United States. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> this place is really crazy. Guys, Alaska's strange. <laughs> um, the region around the lake is very sparsely populated. And the economy relies heavily on hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, early reports of settlement in the region go back to the 1790s when Russian fur traders were inhabiting the area. Um, the lake was actually claimed by the Dina Ina people as their own territory until contact, contact, until contact with the Russians and the Dina Ina are, um, Alaska, Alaska, <laughs> I can't fucking talk, Alaskan native people. Okay. Um, Alaskan. <laughs> and they're the original inhabitants of the South Central Alaskan regions. Okay. And that's from Wikipedia. That's where I got that. <laughs> <laughs> um, lake Iliamna is the biggest lake, lake in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And it is actually on top of very unstable bedrock. This lake is 50 times bigger than Loch Ness. Oh. Um, the, and the latitude of Loch Ness mm-hmm. and where Lake Iliamna is is very similar. Are you serious? The latitude of Loch Ness and Lake Iliamna are almost identical. So they both have very similar climates and water temperatures. That's so bizarre. It is 
the second largest freshwater lake in the United States. And it is over a thousand feet deep in some places. Nope. Bye. (laughs) It is largely unexplored. I wonder why. And it's very possible that there is more than one of these lake monsters. Yeah, I would say. (laughs) Um, And there are very similar stories with other lakes in the area. You know, those other three million lakes in this region. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> um, the first modern reports of the lake monster began in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see some of the exclusive footage that they have of like more recent sightings of it, you can watch the episode of uh, about this on um, the Alaskan Triangle show on Discovery Plus. They show like pictures of modern like sightings. And oh, stuff. wow. It's interesting. Um, and that's on season one, episode three. So there you go. Cool. Um, people describe it having three humps. It's dark in color, um, has very large eyes. And they think that like, and, and this goes for a lot of um, sea creatures, um, the larger their eyes, the better they can see in deeper water. So it's like a giant swimming camel with huge eyeballs. It's like a dinosaur. Like a plesiosaurus. That's scary. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's described as large with a broad head and it's long with kind of a tapered body. The The colors in the sightings vary from silver, silverish in color to brown. Um, and eyewitnesses has, have also claimed to see a clear side to side tail motion when seeing this thing. Um there's a man named, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and sightings uh, seem to occur around the Coconic Bay and Bay Pedro regions. Okay. Um, a pilot named Tim Laporte in 1977 saw a, an alleged 14-foot fish in this same area. Um, haha! The Tlingit people. Ah. Haha! Um, have a legend about a creature called um, a, gonic- a gonicotet, um, which resembles a whale in their legend. I gonna caught it. I gotta caught it. Gonna, gonna caught it. I'm it's G O N A K A D E T. Gonna caught it. I'm gonna caught it. <laughs> They're gonna caught it because they didn't get it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the Alu- Alutuian people, Al- Alu- Alutian people. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, also have their own monster in this region called a Jigignak. Um, And according to their legend, this creature killed and ate people that were traveling in the water. Fun. Um, and this dis- the description of this creature in the legend is more like a fish than a whale. Um, in 1942, a man named Babe <laughs> Allysworth. And, and another man named Bill, um, I can't even say this name, ha- Hammer Slayer. It's H-A-M-M-E-R-S-E-S-L-E-Y-W-E-R-E. That's his Hammer Slayer. Yeah. Hammer Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> um, they claim to have seen a uh, giant fish more than 10 feet in length um, while they were flying across the lake. Um, there was another report made by a man in 1945 who was a survey pilot 
named Larry Rost. He claimed that he saw a fish at least 20 feet long swimming in the lake. Um, Jeez. In 1967, there was evidence that the lake monster was found and caught for a brief time. Um, a Christian missionary named Chuck Krapaschutz <laughs> uh, saw a large fish. <laughs> it's C-R-A-P-A-S-C-H-U-T-Z. Krapaschutz. <laughs> Um, he saw a large fish while in a small plane. He radioed his friends and the news spread quickly. So a bunch of them came up with the idea to try and catch it. Oh, good. So they took a float plane and put, um, which are the ones that can, can land, uh, on, land on the water. Yeah. And they put s- steel cables at the end with large tuna hooks attached to them. Oh, that's what you do. And it. they attached meat to the hooks and tossed the line into the water. They waited for a bite, and the boat ended up being towed around the lake by whatever bit onto him. Fuck that. And eventually broke free. Um, and the, when they pulled the tuna ho- hooks up, they had been straightened out. Uh, a creature that did this would have had to have had so much immense strength. So much strength. To be able to do that. Holy shit. So, yeah. Um, at one point, the uh, the Anchorage Daily News offered $100,000 bounty for the capture of the lake monster. And that bounty has gone unclaimed. So, um, there are a couple of theories about what this creature could be. Mm-hmm. One of them is that the, it could be a white sturgeon. It's a type of a fish. Um, Jeremy Wade, who um, is famous from River Monsters, if you've ever seen that show. I've heard of it. Attempted to fish for Illy in Lake Iliamna. Sorry. Um, but didn't catch anything. He agrees that this is probably uh, the correct hypothesis, it being this white sturgeon. Um, white sturgeons can reach lengths of approximately 20 feet. Wow. And can weigh up to 1,500 pounds. Ooh. Um, however, white sturgeons have never been recorded that far north in Alaska. Um, the Anchorage Daily News did a report that some green sturgeon um, had been caught in the lake in the mid-1990s. Um, but that species really only grow to about 7 feet and 300 pounds. So hmm. um, it, that's probably maybe some of the smaller see like you know sightings, yeah. but not the larger ones um it possibly could be a beluga whale um they sometimes follow the salmon that migrate up from because it does connect to the ocean okay so um you know they sometimes follow that salmon um like as far as like the edge of the lake so it's possible that it could be a beluga whale but That's they're cool. white and, like, they're saying that they're seeing, like, a silverish brown thing. Yeah. Um, it could also be, people think, harbor seals. Um, Lake Iliamna has the largest population of freshwater seals on Earth. Um, they, don't grow, they don't grow up to the length many witnesses have claimed. Um, but it could be a case of, like, mistaken identity, they think. Where, like, because you don't often see a seal in freshwater. Like, people could have been like, oh, it's a monster. Yeah. Um, also, how is it freshwater, but it connects to the ocean? Um, science people, help me. <laughs> it does connect to the ocean. I don't know that. <laughs> That's how it gets its water. 
would it be salt water then? I I don't know. I'm legitimately just curious. Let's see. I don't. I well, don't. my phone's about to die. Here, I got you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, And the last theory, like I said, this could be some sort of plesiosaur, which is a long extinct marine reptile that grew up to 50 feet in length, um, somehow surviving um, on the 5 million freshwater salmon that live in the lake uh, during the year. But that is Illy, the lake, the lake monster. Oh, it just depends on the the flow of the water. Oh, okay, cool. So if water flows from the lake out to the ocean, it's likely that the salt won't end up in the lake and it will stay fresh water. See? Makes sense. I was just like, oh, wait a second. How is it fresh water but connected to salt water? <laughs> Science! Science! Um, all right. And last but not least, my friends... We are going to talk about the Alaskan Titanic. I'm telling you, this place is fucked. The Alaskan what? Titanic. I, I'm concerned. Very few members of the general public know about this event. This shipwreck occurred just a few days before the end of World War One, And the Spanish flu was running rampant throughout the United States at this time. Good. So Great. this happened and like nobody knows about it. I had no clue what this was until I read about it. And we're going to talk about it. Bring it on. Um, so both of these events overshadowed this shipwreck. Um, and this happened off of the uh, coast of Alaska. And the coast of Alaska has some of the most treacherous waterways in the world. Um, and many people believe that these waterways are luring ships to their doom. <laughs> I wanted to say that. Um, so we are going to be talking about the sinking of the SS Princess Sophia. Ha ha! I said Sophia. You remembered to say Sophia. In 1918, this was a steamer ship. It is the worst maritime tragedy in Alaskan history. And it is also the greatest loss of life in a single event in Alaskan history. Oh. Um, the ship went down off the, um, went down in the southern corner of the triangle um, by Juno. Mm-hmm. And to this day, this kind of remains unexplained of how this happened. Oh no. Um, the turn of the 20th, this is the turn of the 20th century. Uh-huh. The gold rush was over, but there were still a lot of small mining communities in the interior of Alaska. Uh-huh. There was a lot of seasonal work um, that was impossible to do during the winter. Mm-hmm. So, um, Workers would travel south by steamer boat during the winter via Skagway, which was the em- embarkation point. Um, and that's an act, the act of passengers and crew getting aboard a ship or aircraft. That's uh, from Wikipedia. Okay. Um, and Skagway, it was or is a small gold rush port on the south coast of Alaska. Okay. Or was, you know, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So Wednesday, October 23rd of 1918 mm-hmm. was the last run of the year to get these people out of the interior. Um, there were no roads in or out of the area. So basically, if you didn't get on this boat, you were stuck in Alaska until May or June. That's terrifying. When the season started back up again. Oh, my God. 
Um, so people were fleeing to Skagway to es- escape the winter, basically. Um, 353 people were legally aboard. Mm-hmm. So they believed that there were a few stowaways. Yeah. Um, this was the, 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 the people aboard were <laughs> comprised of miners, territory and city government officials, businessmen, civil servants, civil servants, their wives and children. And then of course the crew members, mm-hmm. there were 24 horses aboard and one dog. Oh, um, and like I said, some stowaways. They left Skagway and headed down the Lynn Canal around 10, 10 p.m. And that was three hours behind schedule. Wow. Um, the Lynn Canal is 90 miles long and over 2,000 feet deep. Oh, gross. Um, and it is the deepest fjord in North America. And what is a fjord, you ask? <laughs> a fjord is a long, deep, narrow body of water that reaches far inland. And that is from National Geographic Society. That's gross. Um, it is one of the deepest and longest fjords in the world. And it is known for its treacherous and unpredictable weather. Oh, my thalassophobia is crying. So the uh, Princess Sophia was hit by an unusually vicious storm while traveling through the Wind Canal, uh, the Lynn Canal. Mm-hmm. Um, there were um, winds of 80 to 90 miles per hour. But it should have been, it was like a state-of-the-art steamer. It should have been able to just go through this. In its maiden voyage six years before, it had sailed the Atlantic and went to um, Cape Horn, which is also treacherous. And Cape Horn um, is a rocky headland on Hornos Island. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, in, it's in southern Chile. Yeah. Um, and that's in, from Wikipedia. I didn't <laughs> know where that was. Um, so it was designed to withstand terrible weather, heavy snow, fog, low visibility. It had a double steel hull. It was state of the art. Wow. Um, around 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. on October 24th, they strayed off course. And this was four hours into their trip. Oh, no. They were tra- traveling at 12 knots, which is full speed. And should have been traveling around seven knots due to the weather. Oh. Um, when it strayed off course, it was about one mile away from where it should have been. And ended up crashing on Vanderbilt Reef. Vander, uh, Vanderbilt Reef is 30 miles north of Juneau. And it's seven miles long. And it usually bl- lies just below the water's surface. And is usually no more than 12 feet above water level. Jeez. Um, a buoy was placed there by U.S. coastal authorities, but it could only be seen during the daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sentinel Island Lighthouse was four miles away. And this is, um, I'm going to read a quote from JunoEmpire.com. Canadian Specific had submitted a request in 1917 for the installation of a light on the reef but they were rejected due to lack of funds during times of war. Oh, no. Um, so it gets up under, onto Vanderbilt Reef, and it's stuck. But there's nothing wrong. It wasn't taking on water. The hull was not penetrated. They oh. were just stuck on the reef. It just beached it. <laughs> yeah. But it was low tide, so there wasn't cause for concern. Basically, the captain just wait, was going to wait for high tide to come back up and yeah. basically just lift them off this thing. Yeah. Um, 
The ship's wireless operator had already sent out a distress call to Juno, and a search and rescue party was quickly assembled, and they were, like, already on their way. Mm -hmm. The captain just wanted to wait for high tide, like I said, and they would eventually float off. Um, Rescuers circled the Sophia for a day and a half, waiting to save the passengers and crew. Because while they waited 40 hours, the storm got worse and worse. And this made rescue efforts nearly impossible. Like, you can read a bunch of articles about this online, and they have tons of quotes from, like, captains of other other boats being like, we couldn't get close. We tried. We kept trying. And at first, the captain was just like, no, 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 it's fine. Thanks for being here. Like, watch us just in case. But, like, I just am waiting for high tide. I'm just waiting for high tide. And it just, like, kept, like... They couldn't even be rescued. Like, the longer they waited, the less likely it was going to be that they were rescued. Jesus. Um, And so, as the storm got worse, the rescue vessels eventually had to leave to save themselves. Um, And during the night, the ship somehow turned on the reef and pivoted north, which tore the steel hull wide open oh and water began to rush into the ship there were reports that the boiler exploded exploded at that point and oil went everywhere and the boat sank the last and this is also from juno empire the last sos was sent at 5 20 p.m on october 25th quote taking water and foundering for god's sake come and save us It only took half an hour for the boat to sink between 5.30 and 6 p.m. Oh, my God. People stayed in their cabins in the dark. They didn't even try to flee. Some of them did. Others went into the freezing oil-filled water with life preservers. Uh. Those without life jackets would have gone down with the ship because when ships sink, they create a vacuum that can suck you in. If you're in that area yep. and don't have a life vest. Um, and those who were uh, not sucked down would have drowned due to the waves, the temperature of the water, and the oil. Yeah. Um, the dog aboard the ship was the only survivor. Are you kidding me? <laughs> he was an English setter. And he was found um covered in oil and exhausted two days later he washed ashore at tea harbor which is approximately 20 miles south of the reef reef 180 bodies were recovered before november 1st of that year and 200 to this day remain unaccounted for oh that's awful they were not found on the ship by divers when they went to go through the wreckage and they never washed up. Um, the ship's logbook was never found. Um, and uh, like like I said, there was a large search and rescue effort. Even the governor was out looking. Uh, the governor of Alaska was out looking for them. Oh, my God. But no one was ever found alive. Wow. Um, and it's very strange because they should not have been anywhere near that reef. And the boat 
and the captain should have been able to handle those circumstances, um, which suggests that this off course, this thing where they went off course may have been due to human error. Um, oh. Captain Leonard Locke was the captain of the ship. He has become the scapegoat basically for this horrible Aww. mission. Um, he'd been running that same route for two years and had done other expeditions that were just as bad. And he sh- like he should have been able to handle it. Yeah. But again, I've mentioned this with a couple other things in the triangle. Electromagnetism there is crazy. Yeah. It could have messed with their equipment. Just th- my theory. Just my theory. <laughs> my theory. So theories. Again, major magnetic anomalies. Um. There's strange geology in this area, as we've talked about before. There are shifts in the magnetic field that are 20% different than a standard reading. So weird. So scary. And again, this can affect navigation Mm -hmm. and the mind. At the very beginning, we talked about how this can affect affect you with auditory hallucinations, disorientation, lightheadedness, mood swings, sickness. Um, It can also cause compasses to be 30 degrees off or more. Um, There's there's they also think a lot of this magnetic stuff has to do with their proximity to the North Pole, which is magnetic north. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty close. Yeah, obviously the readings might be different there. It's possible that the crew became disoriented. Um, Again, another thing about vortexes. Could this extreme magnetism cause a distortion of space that would create a vortex. I don't necessarily believe that because it didn't vanish without a trace. Yeah. It's still there. You can yeah. like swim. They found the wreckage. Thing. They found the wreckage. It's there. Um, there's also a theory that the gold miners were disturbing the spirits of the land and taking their precious metals. And so they cursed them. <sighs> but why did you curse this specific boat? Like, okay. Um, today, and actually in the episode about this on Alaskan Triangle, you see footage from a diver. Mm-hmm. Um, the wreck is corroded and overgrown with marine plant life. It's about 100 feet down. Wow. Um, and you know how the, I said the rumor about the boilers exploding? Yeah. When the lady went down there, when she, in this episode, when she went and looked at the wreckage, all three of the boilers were intact. Really? They did not explode. So where did that rumor come from then? Probably somebody who, you know, how do all things get out of proportion? True. Wrote a mouth. Um, but here's something interesting about this. All of the bodies, all 180 bodies that were recovered were brought to Juneau, which is Alaska's capital, which was a tiny town at the time that did not have many resources. Mm-hmm. It had a population of just 3,000 people or just above 3,000 people at the time. Yeah. Their morgue was only designed to hold 10 bodies at a time. There weren't enough coffins, embalming fluid, or undertakers to be able to handle all of these dead bodies. Oh, my God. So embalmers from <sighs> Ketchikan, <laughs> Skagway, and even Seattle Wow. Came to help with this effort. And they brought as many supplies as they could. Jeez. Um, and bodies were, were stored. <laughs> this is so scary. 
They were stored temporarily near Front Street, which is now downtown Juneau. And one of these places where these bodies were stored is the Juneau Drugstore, which was built in 1905 and still stands today. Oh. And various other buildings. So they basically put them down there until they could figure out what to do with them and because it was cold down there. Uh-huh. And it would keep them from rotting. Oh, my gosh. Um, so a lot of people believe that the souls of the deceased from the Princess Sophia have returned to haunt Juno. Hmm. Um, there is a lot of paranormal activity rep- like reported in this area. Um, apparition and, and and specifically in the drugstore, I read a couple of articles about the drugstore itself. Uh-huh. Um, they have seen apparitions. They've heard, excuse me, voices. Um, they've heard strange noises. There's even been poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus of the activity is in the basement of the Juno drugstore, which continues. Of course. <laughs> um, and the activity tends to amp up around the end of October mm-hmm. when the tragedy happened. Uh, yep. Um, <laughs> employees have been touched on the hand, hands and shoulders. Um, they've also been like felt like electric shocks, kind of like Ugh. weird. Um, they get cold sensations. They felt breath on their faces. They feel overwhelming senses of dread. Um, they felt an aggressive and angry presence. Um, there was a report from in 2017 from an employee who went to the basement and said that she saw a ghostly figure. It just like appeared to her and then vanished. Uh-huh. And then um, this is from Juno Empire, the the manager was telling a story about this woman. A coworker was in the basement and accidentally dropped something. She bent down to pick it up. And when she looked back up, she saw a little boy standing ahead of her. No, oh, thank you. And if you watch the episode of um, Alaska Triangle on this, you'll actually see an investigation done in the basement. Of oh, all cool. the paranormal activity. He gets some responses. It's quite interesting. But that, my friends... <laughs> Is part one of the Alaska Triangle. <laughs> part one. Part one. Ah, uh, there's that. Sounds amazing. I hope I've, I hope I've given you enough heebie-jeebies for the night. You definitely have. Major bummer. <laughs> Major bummer's here. Major bummer has arrived. He has arrived. <laughs> anyway, that's that. I can't like I honestly like. I texted you and I was like, "This is gonna be a two-parter. There's too much." Yeah. There was no way I could have encompassed all of what I just told you in a tiny, tiny, like one of one yeah. of these. Oh, yeah. I would have had to have been like, there's a Bigfoot. And another one. And another one. <laughs> and another one. And then there's a lake monster, too. <laughs> like, it would have been like that. So I was like, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick, like, I could probably make this, like, even more than this. Yeah. Like, if we do another Triangles month, I could probably, like, bring it back. Yeah. Oh, my God. Do it like a third part. <laughs> on like what I didn't cover in the first two parts. So I really want to go to Alaska, friends. I really want to go. I'm I know that, slightly like, this, terrified. This should make me not want to go, but I've always wanted to go to Alaska. I almost went. I like I, did, I had an audition for um, an opera company in Alaska a couple years ago. And like I was. It was like actually right before COVID, so it was probably good that I didn't go. <laughs> but uh, I was like devastated when I didn't go. And um, but I wanted to like for our honeymoon, I wanted to do an Alaskan cruise and it cost more than going to Hawaii. And I was just like, yeah, eh. 
just want to go to Alaska. An Alaskan cruise costs more than going to Hawaii? Yes. That's crazy. (laughs) Isn't that weird? (laughs) It's really weird. Yeah, because I was like, let's go to Alaska, Ty. And he was like, really? You'd want to go do that? I was like, yes. (laughs) And then. My ass is like, put me on a beach and give me a drink. (laughs) And then I was like, wow, this is like $1,000 more than going to Hawaii. So. Hawaii it is. Hawaii it is. Anyway, Nicole, now that I've talked to your guys' ear off for an hour and a half, <laughs> where can they find us? We are in plenty of places, folks. Huzzah! Um, first and most importantly, we are on Patreon.com slash Buzzkillers Podcast. I don't know why it came out like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a subscription site. You pay one or two dollars to follow our page, and every month you get bonus content, bonus mini. We take all of the funds that you give to us to better this podcast for your earballs. And what did we decide that only the Patreons know right now is going to be the new name? Oh my gosh! I forgot that was in the Patreon-only episode. Guys, if you would like to join our Patreon, you uh, you get to be a part of the Patron... The, oh my god, I can't even talk. The Patron glass. The Patron glass. You are our Patrons, and you get to go into the Patron glass. And we think that maybe we'll do an episode with Patron. Probably. Just for our Patrons. Just for the Patrons. <laughs> <laughs> we think that's hilarious. It is huzzah. It is huzzah. <laughs> this is not a faux pas. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That was in the middle. Patreons, only you know about some of this stuff. Guys, this is why you should go join Patreon. There's jokes. You miss all the good jokes. You miss all the jokes. <laughs> so we are also all over social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Buzzkillers Podcast. At Buzzkillers Podcast. We are on Twitter at Buzzkillers Pod. Buzzkillers Pod. We are on YouTube. Um, if you go in your search bar and you type Buzzkillers colon a true crime podcast. Buzzkillers colon a true crime podcast. Our page should pop up. And while you were over there, hit that subscribe button. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for liking and subscribing. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you are interested in listening to us more than you already currently are and maybe on a different platform. We are all over the place. <laughs> um, if you are, don't like your current platform. <laughs> we are on all of them. Um, we just are, say that from we, now on. Uh, we basically are. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music slash Audible. We are on iHeartRadio, Pandora, and our host platypus, Podbean. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, and we have our very own website, buzzkillerspodcast.com. Buzzkillerspodcast.com. <laughs> if you head on over to our website, you can learn a little bit about Macy and I. You can check out all of the wines that we drink. Um, and most importantly, there is a contact page if you are interested in writing to us. Yes. There is a little form you can go over and submit and it will go directly into our inbox and we will cry because your messages are so nice. Um, yes, thank <laughs> you. Um, if you are not interested in using the website, what would still like to contact us, you can email us directly at buzzkillerspodcast at gmail.com buzzkillerspodcast at gmail.com and that's all folks (laughs) (laughs) anyway guys we're just gonna sign off now because i don't we don't have a lot of business no i say we've been it's the new year we've just been relaxing for like two weeks tis a new year tis a new year friends and 2022 (laughs) is going to be the best one yet 
I hope. <laughs> oh God, please. Because the last three years have been kind of rough. Yes. Rough. You're rough. Oh man. And they have not been huzzah. They have much been faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you want to know what that means, listen to the Patreon episode. Patreon. Anyway, guys, we love you so much. Thank you for sticking with us this far. Thank you for your constructive comments. We hear you about the audio. We're going to go back to the earlier episodes, download them and re- put them mm-hmm. and put them up again with better audio cuz you know, we were noobs. <laughs> we still kind of are noobs, guys. I'm still kind of a noob. Listen. Um, <laughs> I did I did this for like a semester in college. I never did this. So like <laughs> I barely know how to use GarageBand. I have a communications degree. <laughs> I don't do anything. I had to useful. do this for music technology class, but not like this. <laughs> I basically had to like. There were other people that did this, but I like my Garage Band project was like mixing a bunch of the pre-recorded tracks together and then like playing like beep boop burp burp. The last beep, time beep. I did anything of the sorts, I was in high school, mm-hmm. and I took I took sound recording one, two, and three, in which everything was already set up for me, and I just had to basically hit the record button and talk. I didn't have to do anything else. Yeah. So I didn't really know anything. And I also didn't really go to those classes because I, I, I had an in <laughs> with the teacher. It's fine. <laughs> Mr. Peacock was the greatest teacher ever. Okay. I'm sure he's a great name. I did like a radio show in high school. Oh yeah. 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 And yeah, instead yeah, yeah. of going to class, everybody else had to do all the projects and stuff. Me and a couple of my friends did the radio show with him. So we'd go to class and they'd be like, okay, he, Nicole, blah, 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 blah. Like, go, go do the radio show. And it was in the closet. And it was literally <laughs> called the closet. Oh, no, we called it the cave. That's what we called it. We called it the cave. And it was a closet. It was literally a closet with a table, a computer, and two microphones. Oh, and that God. was all that was in it. And I I got all A's because I did the radio show instead. That's nice. But he did all the editing, really. We didn't really do a lot of it. Mm, yeah. So we're noobs. We're we're learning. We're learning. And we're yeah. just going to get better. So thank you for your constructive criticism, your constructive feedback. We hear you. We're, we're working gonna, on it. We're working on it. We're working <laughs> on it. Um, You know, next big, bigger break we take will probably be that'll be the next big project. We yeah. Do. So, um, and we'll put a little addendum in there because, you know, once it's already out of GarageBand, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And we lost a lot of our audio files when my computer crashed. Yes. So they will be downloaded and turned up as much as we can. Yes. Because at some point, there's not much I can do. <laughs> at some point, they're literally just going to sound like somebody in the microphone. Going, <laughs> it's going to sound terrible. Like, it's like the, the, the Swedish chef. <laughs> just extremely loud animal animal <laughs> yes that's what it's gonna sound like anyway guys right, we guys. love you so much we'll catch you back next week for another triangle Ding. <laughs> I can't. okay we love you bye bye This episode is brought to you by BK Creations, LLC.